Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming J.J. Duncan. J.J. is an award-winning television producer, writer, advocate, and co-founder of the nonprofit Not Today Cancer, which raises funds for childhood cancer research. J.J. is widely known in the entertainment industry as an executive producer and showrunner of such hits as Project Runway and The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning, among others. After losing her 11-year-old son to leukemia, JJ also became known as a childhood cancer advocate, using her influence as a top television producer to open up the very real human discussions of grief, mental health, and end-of-life care through storytelling. She was a speaker at the Endwell Conference in November. November of 2023, very recently, where I was privileged to hear her when she spoke about healing through personal storytelling. On multiple visits to Capitol Hill, JJ's told her story to Congress in order to advocate for childhood cancer laws, and she has multiple projects in the works to continue, yay, to continue the conversation for anyone looking to explore their own stories of loss. With all her focus on loss, it may be surprising to learn that J.J. risks delight at every turn, always looking for the funny and striving to take the story to an unexpected place of joy. Welcome, J.J. Thank you, I'm so Cheryl. Here. And I don't know if you read my bio at the station, but it ends with surprised by frequent moments of joy. <laughs> In- oh my gosh, that escaped me. That's wonderful. Joy in common, um, because, you know, grief is not depression. That's correct. That is correct. In fact, there's a reason like so many people get, you know, they they mortify themselves because they start laughing at a funeral when I think laughter and tears are the two most common things you see at a funeral. I I agree completely. And um, I have been enjoying your Instagram feed because uh, (laughs) you post so many funny things and there's nothing I love better than laughing but i wanted to i wanted to start just by the sort of um process of us getting here today mm-hmm. uh because it, i came across the title the gentle art of swedish death cleaning and as you might imagine that really really caught my attention i went on a platform to watch it yeah yeah <laughs> watched it uh, I don't get tired of that kind of thing, and it and it's got so much that's funny, and you know, and I'm like the people behind this show know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, the three people know grief, but mm-hmm. somebody behind that knows grief too, right? Mm-hmm. And the next thing I saw was your article in Variety. Mm. You talked about what that show did for you. So let's talk about your son Mason and um, his, your experience with him and his experience with cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and just share with people who haven't seen the article, 
how you came to do that show and what it what it did for you. Absolutely. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you for being a fan of the show and signing up for the platform and watching it, binge watching it. Uh, a lot of people really have been moved by it. And it's wonderful to see that it's touched people's hearts. Um, so thank you. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. I mean, I've, yeah, I'm a, I, I am a, an unscripted showrunner, executive producer. I'm also a writer. I write and I, uh, you know, I'm a storyteller at large and I have been since I was, you know, able to speak. I think my parents would attest to that. Um, you know, I was doing life. Uh, I have a wife, I have two children. Uh, Mason, my boy is our oldest and Madeline, my daughter is our youngest. And I was clicking along, having a successful life, thinking everything was fine, except for, you know, the the aches and pains of adulting, you know, were certainly present. I don't mean to make it sound like we were skipping through everything, but um, really, we didn't know what real pain was, I don't think, until 2019, when Mason was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, he was nine years old at the time, and uh, it was a you know, at the moment, it was like, he's fine one minute, and then the next minute, he's not. We're in the ER. His face was swelling. He had fluid in his lungs. There was, it turns out, a slushy mass around his trachea and heart, so he was in the PICU. Organs were going to shut down. I mean, it was terrifying, where we had just been at a school carnival, you know, you know, 48 hours before, so it was a very weird moment. Of course, in hindsight, I can now look back and say, oh, yeah, he had pneumonia for that month beforehand. It was never quite right. He got so tired on that hike. I can see those those little signposts now. At the time, though, it's, it was a shock. And um, we became a cancer family. Uh, we learned Mason had leukemia. All of the emotions that go through that, I, I am scooching over that because I know we have so much to talk about. But you can imagine, I mean, our world's absolutely shifted and changed. Honestly, I don't have to imagine. Yes, you don't. You don't have to imagine. You know very well too well. What I have to imagine is one of my children having cancer. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but cancer, I have deep in my bones. You do know. You do know the world of cancer, and you know. You know all too well that when one person in the house, the family, has cancer, everyone has cancer, right? You're all. You're all on board that train, and it is not a happy ride. Um. Mason having cancer, uh, oof, it 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 just pulled the rug out from under us in such a way that, you know, of course, when it's your child, you're sitting there asking, you know, God, the universe, what have you, anything. Why not me? Why him? Take mm -hmm. me instead. You know, <laughs> I'll do it. I This is not fair to do to this shining little boy who has nothing but love and light. And he he. You know, I'm a mom. I'm biased. I know, but he Mason was an incredible kid. He was the kid. He was a leader. He was funny. He was talented. He was, uh, you know, he had a voice like an angel. Um, he had so many wonderful, positive, outgoing qualities about him uh, that I, I just couldn't believe how this was the one that got cancer. And and that's how so that random it was. That shows how random it is. It does show how random it is, you know, and, and, and it's, I have to be careful. I, I, this is a practice of mine. I can't go into self-pity, um, self-pity. If I do, it's the key to my basement. <laughs> if I start going into a why me or woe is me, I will go deep, deep and I will, it'll be hard to get out. Um, because why not me? Why not Mason? It's a random situation, as you said. 
Um, I have my own, you know, spiritual beliefs about paths we walk in life and what we what we work through. So I can work some of that in. But at the end of the day, that's my belief system. And it's not going to change the fact that it feels very random. One day, my son has cancer. Out of all the children we know, out of everybody in our family, Mason is the one diagnosed. So we were there. And we went through eight months of um, a cancer, you know, protocol that maddeningly um, would have been the same protocol I would have been put through when I was his age had I been diagnosed with the same cancer. Like that's how little the medicine has changed through the years, which is one of the reasons, you know, we have our nonprofit now, uh, Not Today Cancer, because we're aiming to change that. There is great science on the horizon. But at the time, you know, I I was kind of blown away when they were like, yeah, this is the same medicine we used 40 years ago. It was like, really? How's that working out for us? It's not changed in all that time. Medicine. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's it's really disturbing. And um but you know, he responded very well to the medicine at first. They were blown away by how well he responded to it. I mean, it was still horrible. He had all the effects that come with cancer. He lost his hair. He he was in bed so much, he was so sick, his liver reacted in such a way that he wasn't moving and so he lost um muscle tone and lost his ability to walk. So he was with a walker. All of a sudden, my third grader has a walker. And this is the same kid who was playing soccer just a few months before, um, riding his bike, all that stuff. Now, you know, he can't walk across the room without, and even with his walker, he would collapse. I mean, it was just horrible to see him go through that and terrifying and confusing for him. Like, why isn't my body working? I remember he, I'll never forget there was a day he was, we had him home from the hospital. He had his walker. Carlos, he was so, he'd gotten so skinny, except he was also bloated from steroids. So he had this, he just looked so off. And he was standing there in just some shorts. It was summertime. And he was standing in front, we have a big floor to ceiling window and he'd wanted to get some air. And so he was standing there in the shorts with, you know, standing at the walker. And I could see him like, happily like breathing in sunshine and air through the window and then all of a sudden his body just crumpled he just crumpled and collapsed onto the floor it was it was terrifying and i was leaping at him to try to i didn't i was too far away to actually catch him and everything about the moment a is he hurt b is he scared c what the hell just happened <laughs> Um, was going through me and he just looked confused. He was like, mama, I just collapsed. And and I was like, I, I know, buddy. And I'm helping him get back. He just couldn't understand how that happens. Like just no muscle mass. And so he, little by little, this is Mason in a nutshell, he wanted to be able to walk again. So we said, well, the more you walk and work and we're going to get you physical therapy, we'll get your muscles back. We'll get you walking again. So I, like a couple of days later, I was, you know, in another room or something and I heard a little ka-chink and then I, you know, was like, what is what is that? And so I go peek around the corner and he's walking like this to his walker. And what he was doing was taking his walker, throwing it forward like five feet and then walking to it just to get himself walking again. I just started sobbing. I was like, I this is my, I was so proud of him. I was like, that's my son. That's him. That's the kind of kid he is. He is going to fight and keep pushing to get stronger. And so that is in an, in his essence who Mason was. And 
Um, so making it through that first eight months, you know, we, I, I thought I, for some reason I had in my head, I don't know where I got the statistic, by the way, that 98% of the kids with leukemia survive. Um, a large number of kids with leukemia do survive these days. He had a particularly aggressive type. He had what's called T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And that's that's a bit harder to beat than the more common one that you mostly hear is B-cell uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And he had T-cell. Um, so he was doing really well. All flags were green. He wrapped up that eight months of treatment. And it was the top of 2020. And we were told, okay, he's done with the main protocol. Now it's going to be three years of maintenance treatment. And that sounded great to us, which is insane because it was once a month spinal taps and and, and uh, infusions of chemotherapy. It was a daily chemotherapy pill, but his hair would grow back. And to him, that was everything. If he could get his hair back and we had him in physical therapy and he was starting to walk without a walker. And so he was getting stronger. And so it looked like life was going to get back to normal. We were like, okay, we can do three years of this. Normal again. What's the say that again? As if it would ever be the same normal again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought, oh, this is our hero story. We've done it. We've done the hero's journey. You know what I mean? And I was, because I'm a storyteller and I'm always about looking for the story. And I thought this was the big lesson. I had learned so much. I had learned perspective. I had learned bravery. Mason had learned this. This was going to be, you know, I'm writing his college essay exam <laughs> to get into great schools because, wow, what a kid. You know, I wanted to sum it all up in a nice, neat little bow. And um, that didn't happen. And what happened was the long and short of it was he um, he relapsed. COVID hit and he relapsed about a month after COVID hit. JJ, I was so aware as you were talking just now that, that his um, re-diagnosis and death was right as COVID started to happen. That is just sick of it. Crushing. crushing. And I very much appreciate you sharing details. Uh, of course, I know you believe in that, right? Because I heard you speak. Mm -hmm. But I also believe in it because I think um, it, skipping over the details of what really crashed into us mm -hmm. um, diminishes something about where we then go. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, uh, if we skip the horrible, painful, ugly part, mm. it, it seems as if we just sort of skip through the roses and <laughs> there we are. And that isn't how it works. So I, I okay. very much appreciate your willingness to share how it really was. Yeah, I appreciate you noting that. I I have I have always had this interest in not skipping through the roses part. Like I I love like how do we as humans actually get through a moment? And it's not, it's not black and white. It is not step a stepping stool kind of thing. It is a, it's a, it's a mess of decisions and feelings and quirks and setbacks and, you know, confusion. And uh, so I do, I, I do, when I share the story, I, I, I think it's important to not just talk about the wonderful stuff or not just talk about the awful stuff. It's kind of all over the place. There's a lot of moments in the almost two years that we went through cancer that were joy-filled. We actually had some really beautiful moments. I mean, I am so grateful for the last two years of Mason's life because 
he and I, I mean, as if we weren't already bonded deeply. I mean, he was a mama's boy. I can't lie. We really, really had a soul connection because of that illness um, that I treasure, treasure. I don't have enough big enough word to say what it means to me. Um, and it was because of the illness. Yeah. And, and of course, I relate to that, having lived in a cancer family, as you're putting it, for almost a decade. Yeah. I sometimes do have a hard time imagining, um, because the, the beginning couple of years were very tough and yeah. uh, um, less joy than later on. Sure. Yeah. But maybe maybe helped a little by the fact that he was a child and he was still being a child. Um, I think there is something to that. I, I think there is something to that because he didn't, he had a trust like, you know, I mean, it was something that was kind of a horrifying position to be in because he would look to us, his parents, like things are going to be okay, right? And we're like, yep, things are going to be okay. <laughs> You know, it's like you say to a child, I mean, you know, if your child falls and breaks their arm, they're in a lot of pain. And what are you saying to them? You're saying, I know it hurts. We're going to get it helped. You're going to be okay. We do. And that's only part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, it is only part of the story. And it's, you know, and the thing is, is I, on one hand, believed it. Like I said, I thought that he's going to, he's going to be okay. And this is going to be our story. And on the other hand, I had the very real adult knowledge of what cancer meant. And I was watching this happen and thought, oh, my God, what are we dealing with here? And how can I be honest with him? Because he, he, you know, he was old enough. I mean, he turned 10 years old a few, a few months after he got cancer. Then he turned 11 years old in cancer treatment. So he was he knew I was going to tell him the truth. He needed the truth from me and he could tell if I was lying. So like I had to be honest with him and how do you be entirely honest so that a child keeps their trust in you and also not scare the hell out of your child or you or catastrophize in some way? How do you say, I don't know, to the one person who's looking to you to say, tell me everything's going to be okay? It you was know, a hellacious situation. That, that leads my mind to Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> but um, we it's time for a break. Yes. So take a break and then let's talk about Chadwick Boseman because that that um story just delights me so no end, as you can imagine. Yes, of course. There's, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. There's also a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them, that you can click and find places to buy it. You can follow me on Instagram, like me on Facebook, etc., etc., etc. And to find JJ Duncan, go to her Instagram at I am JJ Duncan. Be back soon. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Mm -hmm. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I've been talking with J.J. Duncan, a producer, writer, and speaker who was the showrunner for The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. And before the break, J.J., I was saying I really wanted to talk about Chadwick Boseman. Um, And, um, of course, I heard you talk about Chadwick Boseman in the context of how important it is to tell true stories, Mm -hmm. to to tell real things. And I remember when he died, um, I... Absolutely, of course, honored his desire not to be public with his his cancer. And at the same time, I did regret it Yeah, because um, what an impact that would have, right? Yes. Yeah. In a similar way that people coming out had an impact on more people being able to live true lives. And, you know, there's so many analogy. Excellent analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So I I did somewhat regret that, mm-hmm. although I understood it. Yeah. But um, he's still doing his work, isn't he? <laughs> because you he have is. a story to tell. Uh, take the floor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, I mean, I, I always assume everybody knows who who he is. Was uh, he was the Black Panther? You know, he was an actor that played uh, a lot of different roles. He played James Brown, Jackie Robinson, an iconic uh, Black American men, and uh, and Chadwick, in so doing, played those roles so well. He became an iconic Black American man, and um, he played the role of the Black Panther. And our family loves our Marvel movies. Um, we Mason, in particular. He was a little boy. He loved the Marvel movies. So he and his buddies, they would dress up in costume to go see the movies. I mean, it was a whole thing in our household. We had action figures. We had, I mean, it was, you know, 
Um, we even had some, you know, in the throes of cancer, we even had, he, I don't, I didn't mention this part. He had the opportunity to meet uh, Elizabeth Olsen who plays uh, Wanda. And so um, uh, the witch, the, the, I'm blanking on her, but you know, and, and um, so um, she, um, sorry, I'm thinking about Elizabeth Olsen something. And then he had a message from uh, Chris Evans that was like, she had on her phone. So the Marvel people had sort of been, Mason was just enthralled with those movies and those actors. And it started to have him see the actors as actual human beings behind the roles too. So we had a lot of conversations about that. Mason was a storyteller in his own right. And me and, and Stacy both being in the entertainment industry, he always had questions and ideas and wanted to write movies. And he was a storyteller. So that just to sort of set up the fact that Chadwick Boseman had become this icon of sorts because we loved those movies and Mason thought they were such important movies and loved them. And then while we were in the midst of cancer, we came home one day from an extended hospital stay and I glanced on my phone and gasped, oh my God, Chadwick Boseman died. Because as you mentioned, it was a shock. He had not shared with anyone that he was battling cancer. Um, I actually hate saying battling he was he was uh, suffering from cancer because um, that lends to losing battles, and I don't think we lose those battles. Uh, that's another topic, isn't it? But, <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, he he had died, and Mason was like, "Oh my god!" And so I immediately realized what's happening. Like, you know, my mom brain's like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! What is this about?" And I'm guessing it might be cancer, you know. And I glance down the article. Sure enough, I see the word cancer. I'm like, "Oh no!" Mason said, how'd he die, mama? And I was like, oh, he was sick and I'm trying to put it away and I don't want to talk about it. And Mason's like, sick with what? Cancer? <laughs> Again, he's a sharp 10-year-old kid at this point and uh, soon to be 11, actually, at that point. And I look back at the article, I'm like, yes, but he had colon cancer, very different cancer from you. Don't worry. I don't want this to scare you. He was not, Mason was not near as flustered as I was about the whole thing. Clearly he was like, well, read the article, mama. I'm holding it in my hand. He's like, read it. And, uh, I, I did not want to read it. I did not want to share it. I didn't want to talk about someone else's cancer death with Mason because at this point we were in the thick of his relapse. He was not doing well. We were trying to get him into a clinical trial for, it was a Hail Mary pass. We knew things weren't looking good. But I still had not given up. I still was like, oh, he's going to make it. There's no way he won't make it. But I didn't want to I didn't want to look at the possibility of him not making it. So I did not want to talk about this. He did. Apparently. He did. There's actually a lot of stories about him wanting to talk about it when he made me sort of come to the fore. Um, this is one of them. This was the first one. And so he said, Mama, read it. So I was like, Fine. So I read it. I read this article out loud to him, you know, Chadwick Boseman, blah, 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 blah. And it says he died in his home in Los Angeles, surrounded by his family, according to his publicist, blah, blah, blah. And I finished reading the article and because it goes on to tout his career and everything. And I launched into this, honey, I know that is scary, but you don't have the same kind of cancer. So please don't let this scare you. And he's just like looking past me and he finally goes, you can do that. I was like, do what? And he said, you can die at home. And I was, I was confused. I was like, what do you mean you can die? And I was like, yes, you can. What? And he said, I mean, if you're that sick, why wouldn't he be in the hospital? They let you do that. They let you just die at home. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, like you see this childhood innocence of like, what is 
dying? What is death? How does it work in a medical? He was giving the, the medical establishment all this power to like let you where you die. And it just, I was, it was a real like eye opener for me in that moment of how he saw death. And I knew I needed to talk him through this moment. I couldn't put it aside any longer. So I curled up next to him and I was like, yeah, baby, sometimes when you're really sick and medicine stops working, you can go on something called hospice care treatment. And that means you can go home or to an environment that's like a home and you can have a nurse help you with things like pain medicines or just things to keep you comfortable. And you can just die. And Mason was just like, his eyes were wide. Like you could see that he had just clicked with him. I was super uncomfortable, but he didn't seem uncomfortable. He just nodded. He just was like, all right, thanks for the truth, mom. You know, it was kind of what it felt like. And so was that? Thanks for the facts. The facts, exactly. And, you know, he he knew we had an agreement his whole life. He knew if he asked about something. I mean, you know, it, most parents worry about having the sex talk with their kids, right? It's like the big sex talk is like, I was always very clear that like, anytime you ask me, I will be honest with you. We had, you know, the, the truth is, is with the sex talk, it's easier to have a bunch of little talks and not one big, okay, kid, let me tell you about the birds and the bees. Those don't go well. The same thing is true of death. We should have a lot of little talks. We should all be talking about these little things so you don't sit down and have the one big scary, okay, let's talk about death conversation because that is intimidating and horrible for all parties involved. So our big talk in our house was not about sex as much as it was about death. Mm -hmm. And so here I was having to answer my tween boy's questions. He had some sex questions too. And I answered those about death though, you know? And so that was the first of those conversations was Chadwick. And, you know, we had several more over the next couple of months. He, he was getting worse and worse. We, we did go into that clinical trial. We went to Houston for a month. It was too little too late. Some amazing science happening there, but for several reasons, it didn't work out with Mason. Um, although that science is proving to, they actually learned so much from Mason that it actually has continued now to go forth and help other kids. So we're thrilled with that. Um, but when we came home and our doctors back here in Los Angeles sat us down and said, there's no more medicine. That's a moment that we all had to take in, obviously. And we got home and Mason, when I was putting him back in our bed. He loved our bed. Our bed was from the time he was a baby. I used to bring him to our bed to breastfeed him because I was not going to sit up all night. <laughs> I did the lazy, the lazy co-sleeping parent way, but it was perfect. I resonate with that. Yeah, it was perfect for us. So that was his happy place in the world. And uh, I was setting him back up. Stacy and I were in that location and he looked at me and he said, mama, at this point, he knows he's going to die because he's just been told by doctors you're, there's no more medicine to help you. All we can do is give you some medicine to kind of keep the symptoms at bay, the, the bone pain from the leukemia. And um, he said, I want to die like Chadwick Boseman. And I was like, what? What?" And he said, I, I don't want to go back to the hospital. I want to be at home with you and mommy and Madeline. I don't want to go back. I want to do it like Chadwick did. And that... <sighs> Chadwick Boseman, <laughs> the Black Panther taught my son to die. That's amazing to me, you know? It, it just and makes it because of that honest story. I obviously heard that at Endwell, but it makes me cry again. Just yeah. 
the the power of it. And um, it also makes me think about children and death because yeah. I, you know, I've had a lot of people say, Oh, I need to protect my child. But the the children that I've encountered who are afraid of death, it's because no one will talk about it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and, you know, I've explained death to a not, you know, two and a half year old, because that's when my wife died. Our yeah. kid was two and a half, got out the stethoscope, yeah. the hearts. When you can't hear a beat anymore, the body is done. It'll never come back. And I have to say, she never once said, when is she coming back? All those things you think kids say, yeah. we have to wait for 36 hours. No, there was no doubt she was dead. Yeah, that's but right. She wasn't in our lives, but she yeah. was completely dead. And her and, body is dead, yeah. And it wasn't, um, I'm sure there was some fear, but the people that were really afraid were the adults around us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it makes adults so uncomfortable. I mean, it makes every, it is an uncomfortable thing to go through. Duh. But thank God you said that to her because that's exactly it. The I, It's funny because, you know, whatever it is in hindsight, I, you know, I, again, these moments that seem like little like signposts along your life. I remembered when, when Mason, when I realized Mason was even sick when he, you know, when he, when you, when you first get the call that your son is eligible for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, you're like, that's hard. Um, and I remember, I remembered then an article I had read years prior about the psychology of whether or not to tell a child who is terminal that they are going to die. And in that article I read, they had studied that even very young children knew they were dying and for the adults who were saying, oh, you're just going to sleep or things like that, trying to make it less safe, the children were more upset about upsetting their parents. So it became this elephant in the room that everybody was just uncomfortable with. And uh, I remember thinking that then. And so I told myself, if we're going to go through this, I'm going to be honest with him across the board because Mason was a smart cookie and he could tell if I was lying anyway. And, you know, he was the age of 11. So he needed to know what was happening with his body. And we had some really hard conversations, but my biggest um, gratitude is uh, uh, for stories like Chadwick Boseman and that my wife and I chose to not hide the truth from him, to be honest with him. And so that that's something I'm super, because that's how he learned about being able to die at home on hospice. Otherwise, I may have rushed him into the emergency room out of my own parental freak out fear in the very end. But instead, I looked at him one time when that week he died and he was starting to have a like a neurological event. And I said, do you want me to take you to the hospital? And he shook his head. He said, no, mama, I want to be here. And it was hard, but I let him do it. I, I affirm that choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> want to say you know um overdoing this for 10 years i i've um, thought a lot more about what leads people to handle a loss the way they do mm. uh based on other experiences in our lives mm. and i i think that that gear of honesty i know that i got that you know being able to tell the hard truth mm -hmm. from coming out in 1971 i mean uh 
facing up to the hard truth and then seeing that it was so much better. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to ascribe that to you, but I do think there are pebbles along the way that lead us in favor of certain solutions. Mm -hmm. And that decision, we're going to be honest, whatever it's about, right. really served you well, didn't it? It is the key for me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I do think, I do think there are threads of it in my coming out journey. Um, there's threads of it in my uh, sobriety journey. I'm actually sober. I've been sober for close close to nine years. Knock on wood, unless I decide to tie one on this Christmas, I won't. I won't. I know a lot about that world too. So. Okay, there you go. So yeah, so truth telling for me is, uh, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets, as we say. And so uh, it is. It is. If anything is a claimed religion of mine, it's telling the truth. And. Even people who say that sometimes um, get, get squirmy about telling the whole truth with kids. Yeah. So I just want to say the fact that you brought that to Mason, I'm, I'm sure is just um, a big part of being at peace with, with it, even while hating that's, that's a really great way to put it. That's right. I I do have peace with it, which I do think has helped me go forward in my grief journey. Um, I need to I need to be very careful to say like I'm not like cool with grief. I'm not like yeah I'm good or anything like that. My I have wailed and screamed to the heavens and you know gnashing of teeth, pounding of fists, grief. Um, however, I don't doubt that I could have done something better with him. I really do feel in my bones that the choices to make the truth be at our platform as uncomfortable as it was, was actually the best thing. And it's something that has helped us move forward. And as a grief counselor, I'll say, I'll, I'll say regret is the, is a terrible thing to add to grief. Oh God. Yes, absolutely. So much harder. So after this, I I want to talk some about um, the Swedish, the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning and the difference between Swedes and us that I had no idea. Yeah. They're not as, shall I say, messed up in, his, in this area as yeah. Americans generally are. So let's come back and talk about that in a few minutes. Awesome. Sounds and good. Meanwhile, Listeners, you can go to my website, which is goodgriefwithcheryl.com, or you can see JJ Duncan at our Instagram page. I am JJ Duncan. Back soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. 
The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with J.J. Duncan about her son Mason and grief and all kinds of things, death, the whole works. <laughs> and um, the next thing I'd like to move to is uh, uh, I'm sure that you were truthful in your article that getting the job at the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning made a huge difference in your in your grieving. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd love to talk more about that. Um, the show itself just gives me such a sense that all things would be held there. Mm. And mm. I hope that applies to the people behind the scenes too, not just the, the um, people you worked with, many of whom just ripped my heart out and put it back in, to be yeah. honest, yeah. especially Sue and Bev. I'll just admit it. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but um, you know, that that sense of somewhere where your grief could be. Mm-hmm. The people who find a place where their grief can just be, they do do better. Yeah. And the rest of the people are saying, You're gonna think I'm crazy, but yes. Right. And and I'm always thinking, it's so unlikely that I'm gonna think you're crazy, you know. Yeah. Come to me for grief, but it's really common. I have a sense, but you tell me that whoever was working on that show would not find anything you shared or didn't share crazy. That is that is correct. I um oh that show has been such a blessing in my life. Um, and from from soup to nuts, honestly, I it's uh. And when I say that, I mean from the production companies involved. So I was hired by Scout Productions um, and Amy Poehler's Paper Kite Productions um, and UTOS, which is the uh, Universal Television Alternative Studio at NBC Universal. Um, 
I was hired. Those groups of people got together because Amy Poehler's company and Scout Productions got together and got the rights to this little book called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. And they wanted to make a show. Um, You know, at first blush, it's a cleaning show like uh, Marie Kondo or anything like that, you know, home edit or something with a weird title, you know, and it could have just been that sincerely because it you know at the end of the day you're just cleaning up your crap right you're getting organized and and uh, (laughs) and what I learned about Swedes um there was actually another showrunner um Larissa Mattson who was a showrunner before me who is Swedish and the schedule kept getting pushed and she was uh going to have a baby and so she couldn't go do it so she needed to find another showrunner and um I was in the meantime I was starting, I had just wrapped uh, season 19 of Project Runway. I was starting the second year of grief, which in some ways you probably know all too well can be harder than the first because like now the shock has sort of worn off and you're like, like, oh, the world is still turning and I still have to keep going. <laughs> and and it's it's very hard. Like all that you've accomplished all the milestone revisits now with your person gone. And now I've Still got to keep going. It's like it feels it's just the biggest endurance moment. And, and no one's paying attention anymore, right? I yes. mean, yeah. a year yeah. done. I I think everyone's like, okay, back to work. I mean, you know, and so, and I was already back to work. I, I think in some ways, I think I went back to work too soon, but you know, I, I don't know how I got through the first year. I did, I did two shows the first year of grief, but I did. Um, and they were successful, so yay. But <laughs> uh, anyway, I was coming off of second, second, first season excuse me, season 19 of Project Runway, my first season working on that series. And um, I wanted a break. I didn't want to do any more TV for the moment. I needed time off. I needed to pay my bills, but I needed time off. And so I told my agent, I'd like to take like a month or two off. And so she said, okay, except for there's this meeting with this woman at Scout Productions, the Swedish woman at South Productions, can you just take this little call? And it won't start probably for a couple of months, so it'll give you your time off, but you can take the meeting. And I was like, you know, you always take a meeting, always take a meeting. So I, fine, I got on the Zoom call and I'm like, I smile, I'm ready to do my thing, play Hollywood professional. And um, she was lovely and Swedish and, you know, tells me the title of the book. And I was like, the title, like everybody does. As soon as they hear the words, the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning across the board, whether you're okay with death or not, you kind of go, what? What? Weird title. And then, you know, she proceeds to tell me what the book is about, that they've, you know, optioned and um, they want to make a TV show about it. And she said, and the, the thing is, is Swedes are well, we're a little more pragmatic about death than you are here in this country. And so we sort of want, you know, to take that tack a little bit, if you're willing. And that was my spit take moment because I had been, I literally that day had been writing because I writing is my catharsis. And a lot of, I put a lot of things up on my, I have a medium, you know, blog post area and I would put a lot of my grief writing up there and a lot of stuff people never saw the light of day. And I had been writing, why can't people talk about death? People were terrified to mention Mason to me, what we had been through. It's like you've just had your leg blown off by a grenade and everyone's like, oh, would you like a cup of coffee? (laughs) It's so like, just look right past you. They don't want to acknowledge it. And I needed people to acknowledge it. I needed to talk about it. I needed people to say like, you lost your son. Holy shit. Sorry. I hope I guess I'm like, I just, I, I, you know, I needed that bigness. I needed somebody to like roll around in it with me and nobody would do it. And so I didn't know what to do. 
And so I'm writing. And then she says, would you be willing to talk about death a little bit more? And I was like, you're joking me right now. So the long and short of it is I sort of spilled my guts. Look, I'm a mom in grief. This is my belief about it. Blah, blah, blah. I love the concept of, of preparing your home and your family for your inevitable death. And I could see immediately that with Scout Productions involved and Amy Poehler involved, this was not going to be some sappy, um, you know, depressing thing. This was going to be fun because those brands are fun. <laughs> and it's I remarkably fun, which I love. Yeah. And, and such a great humor to it. It's such a great humor. And I and laughing is like my that's my that is my medicine. I mean, it sounds it's so cliche to say laughter is the best medicine, but it is. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier my Instagram. I I have to laugh. Mason was the same way. He and I used to just work to crack each other up down into the last days of his life. I mean, it was that's that's how we do it in my family. And so I loved this idea of being able to talk about death being able to prepare for the inevitable because we're all going to die, admitting that, and then laughing about it. Like I thought, this is brilliant. So uh, as I met everybody, everybody came to the conclusion that I was the best choice to run the show. So I came on board and yeah, I, I, you know, at that point I was 60 pounds overweight. I put on a lot of weight after Mason died because grief weight. And uh, I've learned there's a German term for it, for grief weight. I'm so fascinated by it. Um, it basically amounts to bacon grief, which is hilarious to me. Um, so I, it's, it makes sense to me. So I had a lot of bacon grief going on. Um, I wish I could be one of those people who didn't eat it. I shouldn't say that to people who are underweight. That's terrible to say. But for me and my my little like, you know, shallow brain, I wanted to look better than I did. So I went on this series. I went out to Kansas City and uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and we worked with eight families to tell their stories. Every story was so different. And, you know, in hiring my crew, um, in the conversations I had with the, the gentlemen um, and ladies at Scout Productions and with Amy Poehler and uh, um, her, her team, Kate Aaron, some other people that were just wonderful, some people at Utah. Anyway, a wonderful group of people. We were all having really good conversations. They wanted to know about Mason. I, They let me, uh, I cried with them. I told them stories that were the Chadwick Boseman story, for example. I mean, I, I told my coworkers these stories and got everybody, we were all sort of started sharing our stories. Because when one person shares a story, they're like, you know, I, suddenly I would hear, you know, when my mom died and I would hear this story or when so-and-so died, you know, and we, stories started happening before we even went out to Kansas City. And then we got our crew together and I'm talking everyone from production assistants that go get the morning coffee to the camera operators, to, to other producers, to just everybody working hard to make these stories happen you know, we set up an environment of we're going to tell our stories and there are going to be times we tell these stories on camera that are going to trigger us. And sure enough, the stories, every story triggered people in different ways. And I found the same thing with audiences. Every episode is so different. Um, you know, you've got one woman who's actually dying, um, who Shanna, who she has passed now. Um, 
you have Sue who lost her wife. You have Susie in the first episode who is a 75-year-old woman whose friends have mostly gone and she's mourning her own life and looking, you know, all these different stories that just touch so many different, you know, experiences. And so audiences are like, oh, Doug's episode was my episode. Or someone's like, Shanna's episode was my episode. You said Bev's episode, Bev and Sue. You know, everybody has their quote unquote favorite. And there's a reason for that. Well, same thing happened behind the scenes. Uh, I remember, um, you know, uh, Godfrey in one of our episodes, he's lost both of his parents uh, while he was battling cancer. That really affected one of our camera operators. And he like lovingly came and talked to myself and uh, my co-executive producer, Lauren, um, about what he was going through. And we became a family. I mean, not all shows have that same kind of family, like holding together, you know, and show and God, I wish we had three more hours right now, but <laughs> don't, but um, well, first of all, I want to say everybody should have Fika, the, the break that they take in the middle of the yes. show. <laughs> Fika, a Swedish word for break. <laughs> That's yes. a great thing. I'd love I have to adopted it. It is a main part of my life now. But, um, but also, Marie, you mentioned Marie Kondo. The difference is I, I always resisted Marie Kondo because it doesn't accommodate grief. Correct. Her principle does not accommodate grief. Right. And that's just really, really important to me that, um, you know, people keep things that are painful mm -hmm. because uh, they're meaningful. Correct. So I just wanted to get that in before before our time is up. But um, I hope that people will actually go check out. I I hope you get a second season. That's that's what Thank I you. do. <laughs> um, but also that people will um, hopefully be able to watch it on more than one platform mm -hmm. because it just opens the whole the the box. Uh, what did one of your guests say? I, I knew you guys were going to declutter my life. I didn't know you were going to declutter my soul. Yeah, Susie said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it does declutter and it does. And of course, Shauna, the woman who died, found a way to bring her community into her death, which I just think must have made such a difference. Yeah. So yeah. I hope people will go um, check out your, your nonprofit. Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah, that's the nottodaycancer.care. Yes. Yeah. And and you. Uh, and I've I've really so enjoyed this hour with you. Thank you. Same. I really appreciate the opportunity, Cheryl, to talk about all this. What a wonderful day. Absolutely. You can go to I am JJ Duncan on Instagram to find everything about JJ. Next week, I'll have Scott Stabile. Scott was on the show in 2017 to talk about his memoir, Big Love, which described his healing after the murder of his parents when he was 14. He's coming on again to talk about his new book, Enough As You Are, a book of Scott's inspirational quotes about loving and accepting ourselves as we are. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.